One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that generates biography using musical memories. We use sonic experiences to bring forth our guests' personalities and personal histories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Armando Yechu. Armando is Chief Officer of Hospital Operations and Women and Children's Services at Lee Health in Fort Myers. He previously served as Chief Administrative Officer for Golisano Children's Hospital of Southwest Florida. During his time at Golisano, Armando negotiated the transition of Children's Miracle Network Hospitals membership from Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital to Lee Health Golisano Children's Hospital. This had been a Lee Health initiative for more than 20 years. He also led a team in collaboration with Lee Physicians Group in the development of a comprehensive pediatric mental and behavioral health program, including the addition of 12 mental health providers, resulting in a 1,000% increase in available patient appointments. Armando got his bachelor's degree in health services at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton and a master's in business administration at Florida International University in Miami. Hey there, Armando. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. And like you said, you did get bumped a few times, or you did bump yourself a few times. Yeah. One time was for the governor, so we, we forgive you. Thank you. <laughs> but we're glad to have you here now. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Passaic, New Jersey. Really? Yeah. Okay. How'd you wind up down here? We will get back to Passaic, but how'd you wind up yeah, down here? So, it seems uh, like your center of gravity was Southeast Florida. Yeah, I've been Southeast Florida. I lived in St. Pete for a while, West Palm, back to Southeast Florida, and then Southwest Florida. So it's it's been my job that's taken me all over Florida, but um, we moved from Jersey to Florida when I was an adolescent just because of my father's health condition. Gotcha. Um, so what was your musical background in your childhood there? Like what was what was happening in your life musically when you were still in Passaic? Not a whole lot. Um, I was uh, the last child of older parents. My closest sibling is 13 years older than me. The next oh. one is 16 years older than me. So I I was like the only child of old people. Mm-hmm. So I grew up listening to Spanish music. I didn't really have a musical culture until I moved to South Florida. And that was in the era of DJ Laz and bass music and Two Life Crew. And so I... Uh, I went to high school listening to that. You were doing high school still up there, or did you do high school no, down here? No, high school down here. We uh, we moved to Florida when I was 12. Okay. Do you have any early musical memories that pop up in your mind from when you were still up there? You know, probably the oldest musical memory that I have that I can speak back to is probably a old Metallica song that I remember hearing on the radio wondering what that was, and Boy George, who was big when I was still in Jersey. <laughs> uh, what did your folks think of that kind of music? Did they have a, were they aware of you listening to it? Did they have an opinion on it? No, not really. Like I said, I was like the child of old people. Um, and for the, for the 1970s, they were really old to be having a kid. I was kind of the surprise at the end. Right, right. And whenever they were around, we just listened to Spanish music. Um, music wasn't a big part of my life growing up, which is interesting because then I subsequently wound up playing music. So I played the sax for a while. I played the trumpet. I played the baritone. Um, Was that a high school thing? Yeah, high school and church. Um, I played in front of like the church congregation for years. Really? Yeah, I played alto sax in the church band and I was on stage at church for years playing. Can you play now? No. (laughs) <laughs> I don't even remember how to read sheet music anymore. Really? It's not in there somewhere? If somebody put a sax in your hand, you couldn't like get a Mary, Mary, Mary had a little lamb out of it or something? I don't know. So the sax is still in the attic. Really? Yeah. And I have like toyed with the idea of bringing it down and playing it. But I honestly, I, I think so much information is stored up in my noggin that there's just not room for So much it. new information. Yeah. You've had to push out that stuff. Exactly. Well, you could put some more back in there. One day. One day when I retire, I'll pick up the sax again. Um, if you could learn a music in- musical instrument instantly, which would you choose? I've always thought the French horn was a, just a really sexy instrument. Really? I mean, it sounds cool. It looks cool. Um, the aperture is really tight. I mean, I, I think if I could like play something tomorrow, it would either be the French horn 
or maybe the piano. Mm. I, we've asked that question a bunch of times, and nobody's ever said French horn, yeah. which to me, like my daughter did band in middle school, and her band teacher actually came to me. He's like, have her play French horn. I can get her a scholarship because apparently there's like a need for French horn players in yeah. the world or something like that. But she chose trombone because the French horn just looked too weird. <laughs> it, it looks weird, and it, it's got a tiny little aperture, right? So it's hard to play. It's a tough instrument. Um, but there's just something really uh, intriguing about it that that just draws my attention. Hmm. Um, do you remember the first music you owned? I do not. It was probably like some. Uh, it, honestly, it was probably Run DMC. If if I'm thinking Would back, that have been a cassette. Seems like I'm dialing. No, it on. actually, I I had a record player as oh, a kid, okay. and I had a Run DMC album. And as far as cassettes, the oldest one that I can remember was. Oh, um, insane in the membrane. Who was that? Insane in the brain. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Who was that? Jared's looking. That that is probably Cypress Hill. Cypress that's Hill. Cypress Hill. So Cypress Hill is probably Correct. the oldest cassette I had, and Run DMC was probably the first piece of vinyl I owned. You don't still own that, do you? I do not. Do you still have vinyl? I don't. Yeah. I don't um, even actually at this point in my life own a CD player. There's not a CD or DVD player in my home or in my car. How do you listen to music? Um, I am a big Pandora user, and so I, I subscribe to Pandora to get rid of the ads, and I've got a ton of like stations that we've built. And then my son and I share this monster like rap hip-hop playlist. It's like, I don't know, 200 songs deep. And every time we come across a song that we like, we send it to the other, we vet it, and then he adds it to the playlist. Oh, so I see. Playlist, there has to be consensus to be added to the it playlist. It does, right? And, it, and songs get voted <laughs> off the island too, right? <laughs> After we've heard it too many times, it, it gets to boot. How old's your son? 16. Only kid? No, got four. Wow. Yeah, we didn't have cable. <laughs> Where does he fit in the lineup? So the 16-year-old is the oldest. Then I've got a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old daughter, and a four-and-a-half-year-old son. Um, have they brought any music to you that you're like, uh-uh? No, actually, if anything, I probably influence their musical taste too much. So my older son is really into a lot of the same music that I am. The second son... He um he really likes NF, which is a Christian rapper. And so he he can like recite NF songs. My daughter tends to gravitate towards um a station called Kids Bop. And so it's today's hits that are sung by like kids singers. I don't know. It's it's weird. <laughs> and then the baby, well, he's not a baby anymore, he's four and a half, but he actually will like spit Drake lyrics like he he likes hip-hop, too. So I, I'm probably a, a bit much of an influence. But there's never a time that we're hanging out that music isn't playing. So whether we're on the boat, going fishing, it's it's on the back patio while we're outside in the pool or grilling. I mean, there's always music playing. Mm. Yeah. Um, did you ever make mixtapes? I did. Yeah. And I used to download MP3s and, like, burn MP3 CDs and... My relationship with music has been um, pretty pervasive in my life. Um, there was a point in time when I owned every single Nine Inch Nails release that had ever um, been put out. I mean, some of their European stuff, some of like their underground stuff. And then one day I decided I just didn't want any Nine Inch Nails stuff anymore. So I, I used to go to this record shop on the East Coast called Y&T. Um, yesterday and tomorrow records, and I just walked in with this huge stack of like nine inch nail CDs, and some of it was like rare stuff, rare stuff, yeah. and and they just like bought it all. Um, and then you know it's crazy. Like if I think back to like my big books of all those CDs that I used to own, and some of them are probably still like in the attic somewhere. But yeah, I. That's yesterday and today. Records is in Miami. Yes, it uh, is. It's right next to uh, the Bird Bull Bowling Center. Yeah, that's, that's my childhood right there. 
Well, that's like the area like I would be at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's crazy. That's cool. I, but, I like passed by that record so many, that record shop so many times when I, when I was a kid. It's crazy. Well, that's where I used to buy and sell. I, I remember when I got my first Stone Temple Pilots album, I think I might have gotten it in vinyl. Maybe it was a CD. But nobody at that point even knew who Stone Temple Pilots were and Y&T had them there. Mm. And we were like rocking out to Stone Temple Pilots before like, before they were a thing. And so you could always get like the best like new music at Y&T. Like it, it was just like such an awesome music culture. Did you ever make a mixtape for anybody? Like oh. I want to impress you with my music person who I'm interested in. Yeah, so I I probably <laughs> made too many of those. Um, you overstayed your welcome with mixtapes. <laughs> I don't know that I overstayed my welcome. I just made a lot of mixtapes for a lot of people. Yeah. Did they ever work? Um, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Diplomatic <laughs> answer. Yeah. Um, when you were in high school, uh, like, what was the music scene like? You were in my high school in Miami? Yeah, so I was in high school in Miami. When I was in high school, um, I was skating. I was uh, skating a lot, and I was probably um, more active in the church than at any other point in my life. And so... We were listening to, like, Christian rock bands. We would go to, like, Christian skate nights at one of the local churches. Um, and I, I was probably more of a rocker than than hip-hop and R&B. And so whether it was Christian or secular, um, listening to, at that point, a lot of Pearl Jam, Jane's Addiction, Stone Temple Pilots. I was kind of, like, really into the grunge scene. I loved Nirvana. So I also had, like, a bunch of Nirvana stuff. Um, and then, like, the spinoffs from Nirvana, like Courtney Love's band Hole. Um, I used to... And then, like, really, I used to listen to a underground... Um, radio station out of the University of Miami, um, uh, 90.5X or 90.3X, I can't remember, but they used to play a ton of alternative stuff, so like the Juliana Hatfield 3, that that scene, like Skinny Puppy, that was just a really cool time musically for me, because I was really enjoying like a, a very diverse, like the Butthole Surfers, um, just, it was, it was really rock, based and yeah that was that was a cool time it's called power 95.3 power 95.3 so when you were graduating high school where did you see your life's trajectory going what were you hoping to head toward hospital administration no actually not at all that's (laughs) that's where i think my story gets most interesting i was really um adept at architecture um, all things like design, drawing, the building of models, like I really thought that I was going to be an architect and I was going to um, community college in South Florida and my goal was to be an architect. And then I had an advisor and one day he and I had a conversation where he said, you know, you're good at it. But your life is going to boil down to either you working for a major firm who just takes your ideas as their own or you working out of your garage. And I was so disenfranchised from that conversation that my head just started spinning. Right At that point, I started thinking maybe I should become a pilot and fly commercially. Maybe I should, you know, go to work in retail. I, I was really, you know all over the place. I I was still in school, still taking architecture classes, still doing like my core requirements. And I was working at Pinch a Penny Pool Store, filling chlorine jugs in the back of the store. And uh, at the time, I think I was making $4 an hour. And one day, 
I get a call from my sister who's a social worker. And she says, hey, I got you a job as a delivery boy driver. And it pays $8 an hour. And I thought, baller, I just got <laughs> rich, right? Like I just doubled my income overnight. Well, it turns out that I wasn't really delivering packages, right? I was delivering people. And my job was to help people that had HIV, AIDS, um, to get housing, food stamps, Medicaid, disability. I was driving them all over the place, people that were really sick during an era in our history, right, where this country wanted nothing to do with HIV and AIDS-infected patients, right? They wanted them to kind of go away and die. And that's where the story of my life gets really interesting. Well, let's move on to your first song. Yeah, let's do that because this is about that time where I knew that God had a big plan for my life. I had been a smart kid. I had, like, gotten good grades. I had the ability to, like, apply myself and and do cool things. I just didn't know what I was going to do. And so this song was kind of the theme of that period of my life, right? So we're talking, like, the mid-'90s here, like, 96, 97. And, and I knew that I was going to come up. I just didn't know where I was going to come up. But you trusted you were going to. I just knew, right? Like, yeah. it, it was going to pop off. Um, I just didn't know exactly how, and so why don't you spin it? Okay, uh, this is Outcast, right? Yes. Uh, elevators, Me and You, in parentheses, from their yeah. 1996 album, Atlians. AT Aliens, yeah. Me and you, so where's that taking you back to? Well, my first thought is... I never actually owned the Cadillac. <laughs> Maybe I should get one. I was going to say, not too late. <laughs> make, the, make the whole thing a little bit uh, less anticlimactic. Um, so, you know, it just takes me back to, to an era where I thought, I'm going to be something someday, right? And I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know that God gave me a set of gifts and talents, and he's going to give me the opportunity to use them. But... You know, it's interesting. You hear people say you can't see the forest for the trees, right? And that is never more true than when you're like a teenager and trying to figure out like what you want to do in life. It just seems like everything is either an insurmountable obstacle or just everything like seems stacked against you. But as you get older, you realize that as you look back, there was a path. You just had to like keep doing the right things, right? There's a song today, um, I think it's called Luke Skywalker, and he says, work at it until it works out. And really, there there is such truth in that, right? Like, you keep your head down and you grind and you just keep doing the right things for the right reasons, and one day, like, poof, it all just comes together. And so that's, you know, what happened. So I take this job. I'm a delivery boy driver. I'm I'm like developing this like heart for people and this like passion for helping people. Was that kind of new for you? I mean, it was because as an architecture major, right, I was very focused on math and methods and materials of construction and angles and drawing abstract and perspectives, things. right? Yeah, and actually things that were very like very concrete and not like the softer side. And so if anything, I was probably a bit detached from like a humanity side, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just really focused on stuff. At that time in my life, I was really into cars. You know, I had a jet ski, I had a go-kart, I had an ATV. Um, I was constantly taking things apart, putting them back together. Um, that It was about that time in my life when I started one of my like passions today, which is... Uh, saltwater aquarium hobby. Mm. And so I got my first saltwater tank set up in that era. And so I, I like the mechanics of things. And and I like the the engineering and the science of things. And so then I take this job where I see people kind of at their worst, like the worst times in their lives, the worst times in their health, really outcast, pardon the pun, from society. And I start to, like, 
get the feeling that like life is about more than the mechanics of things. It's really about the love of people. And so, you know, again, following my mantra, grind, right? Work hard. So, you know, you fast forward two and a half years in that job and I get tapped on the shoulder and my boss says, we're sending you to St. Petersburg to start up a social service unit in a hospital for two hospitals. And so the week before my 21st birthday, I become a manager. Mm. I get a company car, a corporate credit card, a company apartment, and I get sent to St. Petersburg, Florida, where I'm going to lead a team of eight people who are going to do all of this social service work. Were you intimidated by that? Or were you like, that's where I'm going next. I'll make it work. You know what? Um, probably the latter. But what I thought was, I'm the boss. <laughs> and so I thought I was going to get to St. Pete and I was just kind of lord over people, right? And so I thought I was going to get there day one and be like, let the praise and worship begin. Well, here's a challenge. I was a 21-year-old punk. And everyone on that team that was working with me was much older than me and well-educated. Single master's degree, dual master's degree, tons of experience. And I was rocking a high school diploma. And uh, they quickly helped me to realize that there would be no praising and worshiping. What there would be was a steady dose of beatings. <laughs> and, um, you know, people talk about being educated in the school of hard knocks. I learned a lot about leading people from my failures, um, especially in those first six months in St. Pete. And uh, interestingly, one day I remember sitting down thinking to myself, dude, you are going to get fired. If you don't figure this out, they're going to fire you. It felt like things were just spinning out of control. Oh, man, like everybody was unhappy. Everybody was miserable. Um, and I was just doing a crappy job. And so I sat down and I took inventory. And so I said, okay, I'm going to start with everyone on the West Coast of Florida is crazy. And I just happen to work with the eight craziest people in a crazy community. And the thought progression led me to, you know what, dude, you're a pretentious jerk. And you have made this job and this opportunity about you when it's really about them. And so I pivoted. I changed. I, I mean, literally from one day to the next. And my focus became, how do I motivate the folks that I work with to be the best versions of themselves, right? And you can't motivate people until you understand what motivates them. And so I started by asking them their why. Why do you do what you do? Why are you in this job in this field? And then I made it my personal mission to have them go home every day feeling like they had achieved what they set out to achieve. And it worked. Like everything changed. We started to gel as a team. We started to come together. And we did some really cool stuff, and we helped a lot of people. What was the nature of the, the work you were doing? Social services. So I was helping. So you were connecting people, with, people in need with services. Correct, right? Whether it was Medicaid, housing, food stamps, disability, um, helping to get their hospital bills paid for, helping to get them ongoing coverage for their medical needs. And... You know, three years in at St. Pete, I got tapped on the shoulder and told, hey, we're sending you over to West Palm. And I thought, cool. And so I went to West Palm, and now my, like, areas of responsibility grew. So now I went from having two hospitals that I was responsible for to having five um, and having a much larger team. And it was, again an opportunity to really learn a new set of people, a new community, a new set of needs. 
Um, it was my first time working in a trauma hospital, inner city. Um, it was it was very, very, very eye-opening because I, I had grown up kind of Pollyanna, right? I mean, you know, lived in the suburbs of South Florida, um, you know, went to good schools. Like, I, I had never seen what real poverty and inner city living look like. And it was going really well. And then one day I get a phone call and I hear, well, we got good news and we got bad news. I said, well, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is the hospitals that you work at are being sold to tenant healthcare. And we're no longer going to be providing this service for them. But the good news is we're going to move you to Sarasota, Florida. And I thought, no, not the West Coast again, right? <laughs> That's where all those crazy people live. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but it was another just very fortuitous like opportunity because Tenet picked me up as a corporate employee out of Texas. And at one point, I was leading a team at 11 hospitals, um, all the way from Brookwood Medical Center in Birmingham, Alabama, through all of Southeast Florida. And you got to think, I was 24, yeah, 25, right? And, um, you know, I had this incredible success. I hadn't gone back to school. You did I at some point. Because I see it on your uh, bio. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, and, uh. and so... I'm having like this incredible success as a corporate leader for Tenet. I'm going to Texas. I'm speaking to like large groups of people. And it was like the first time I realized just how many haters there were, right? So here's this young professional with a high school diploma leading and succeeding. And man, it felt like everyone was out to get me. And that's when this second song kind of became my mantra, right? Because I refuse to be victimized by anyone. But you just can't go and, like, beat up everyone, Yeah, right? You still have to negotiate that reality. Correct. So you have to manage the politics of life, whether you believe in politics or not. Mm-hmm. Every situation that you face has some type of political ramification, and every single action you take has some type of reaction that is caused. And so let's spin this second song. This is uh, Enemy. I listened to the first few seconds of it. It's pretty aggressive. Uh, This is Enemy by Disturbed, uh, released in 2000. Let's do it. Would these teams that you were leading been aware of the kind of music you were listening to? I'm not sure. Because <laughs> I don't really picture that being the kind of music uh, a person in that role would be listening to. But that's stereotypical. We should know better because of this show. But you well, know. <laughs> so, so it's interesting, right? Sansu says in The Art of War that if you sit by the banks of the river long enough, you will see the bodies of all your enemies float by. And I used to console myself to think, you know what, I will outlive and outlast some of these individuals. But as I've come to learn in my personality, there's this angry 15-year-old that when I feel slighted, um, disrespected, he kind of grabs the wheel and he's like, oh, hell no, we're not having this, right? And, and so I, I've spent the better part of my life learning to keep that 15-year-old in his seat. Um, but at that period in, in time, there was a lot of, I'd say, jealousy for the success that I had and the manner in which I, like, carried myself at work. And I remember being at this huge, like, dinner in Texas, and we're at one of those, like, steak places where they just keep bringing you meat, <laughs> and... I had just spoken and, and given a presentation in front of a large group. And I, you know, I really thought I was the coolest kid in school. And we are sitting at the restaurant at this table. 
and this gentleman who was probably, I don't know, let's call it 25 years my senior in the same position that I was in, kind of like leans forward, looks over at me and says, hey, Armando, to what do you attribute all the success you've had at such an early age without a formal education? And I'd just taken a bite of food, and I swallowed. I gave him a glance back, and I said, you know, I came to the realization that I could not compete at the suck-up game because there were just too many people highly specialized in that field. So I decided to just put my head down and work hard. Took my next bite of food. And the entire table was like silent because that guy was like the prototypical suck up, right? And that moment at that restaurant was such a defining moment for who I am as a professional, as a man, as, as like the leader of my family, right? I learned that day at that table that my skin is my skin. And I can't change it. I can't, you know, I often say jokingly, um, I asked my mom and she said, no, I can't crawl back into her womb and be born again. And so this is me. And I've literally spent the rest of my career trying to make myself the best I can be without trying to change the essence of who I am. And so... Had that job at Tenet, and things were going really well. I, I was traveling, you know, once a quarter to Texas. I was traveling to Alabama every month. Um, I was having a good old time. And one day I get a call from the CFO at the one inner city trauma hospital that I worked out of. And he said, congratulations, you're going to be our new director of patient access. And I thought, I don't know anything about patient access. And you still haven't gotten any more, you haven't, still haven't gone to college. I still haven't, like, <laughs> finished college, correct. And so um, I thought, okay, that's cool. And I was about 26 years old. And he said, oh, by the way, you've got to sign this contract that if you don't have your bachelor's degree in two years, you're fired. And I thought, well, I better hurry up and go get an associate's degree. <laughs> so here I am. I am a director at a hospital. I've got a wife and a three-year-old son. And I'm going to school at night. Traditional college. There was no University of Phoenix back then. Like, I was going to school. Monday through Thursday, 6 to 10 p.m. after working all day at the hospital and then working all weekend. Now, fast forward, we decide that in the middle of this, it's opportune to get pregnant because, you know, another baby makes everything better, right? <laughs> Two is easier than one. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, double the tax break. <laughs> and... uh and it's a bad pregnancy. My wife is on bed rest for 16 weeks. Um, she threatened to miscarry several times late term. And if I don't graduate that semester, I am fired. And uh, I was taking five classes that semester, all at Florida Atlantic University. Like, I'm in school. And, you know... My church family stepped up. People were delivering meals. Um, like my family was all the way in South Florida. I was up in West Palm. It was crazy. It was a crazy time. And I aced all five classes. And I graduated um, magna cum laude with a 387 um, with my undergrad in traditional class. And the baby was born and, and he was born premature and spent, you know, a couple weeks in the neonatal intensive care unit. and. I had taken a week off after the birth of the baby, um, after he got out of the NICU, 
to just help out. And, you know, he was tiny. And I get back to work and there's a message from Miami Children's Hospital. Hey, we'd like you to come be our director of patient access and utilization review, right? And I thought, man, God really shows up. I just had this baby in the NICU. My whole family's in Miami. And now I come back to work and there's a message from Miami Children's. So I go down to Miami Children's. It's, uh, it's awesome. I am, I am back home surrounded by my 105 relatives in South Florida. And within a couple of years, I get tapped on the shoulder and told, hey, congratulations, we're making you the Administrative Director of Emergency and Support Services. And I thought, man, that sounds cool. And it sounds like I'm going to get paid well. <laughs> I wonder what that means. <laughs> How are they offering you jobs that you don't know what they are? Well, <laughs> in areas that I haven't led before, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so, um, so I said, well, what does that mean? They said, well, the, the nursing director and the medical director, the physician director of the ER are going to report to you. This is an ER that's seeing like 75,000 kids a year. And I thought, man, I'm going to get paid. And then my next thought was like, I can't do this. And then I was like, yeah, you can. And so I took that job. And uh, while I was in that job for the three years that I was in it, I went back to school and I got a master's in business administration from FIU. And then just because I wanted to try to get smarter, I went back to FIU to the College of Engineering and I got a Six Sigma black belt. And uh, at the ripe old age of 37, I got tapped on the shoulder and was made the vice president of clinical operations for Miami Children's. And there I was. I had over a thousand individuals on the team that I was leading that were responsible for hundreds of thousands of encounters. Um, I had been leading a helicopter and ambulance program. We took it to like the top transport team in the country. And it, it was just such an amazing run. Um, Are you still at this point and still today, presumably, applying that same logic that you learned there in St. Pete when you had to turn that team around? Man, you love to read the last chapter of the book early on, don't you? You probably crack open a book and read the last <laughs> no, few pages, I man. Don't, I don't. You just stole all my thunder. <laughs> And um, so, yes, the, the same principles apply, and we'll talk a little more about it after the last song. Okay. Um, Everybody just pretend like I didn't say that. No, it's all good. It's all good, man, you know? Just um, save that clip for, like, the end of the episode and post. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm, you know, I'm 41 years old. I'm, I'm in Miami. I'm, I'm doing some pretty cool stuff with some really amazing people. And I get a phone call from the, the chief executive at the Children's Hospital here. And, you know, she had spent decades raising money, raising awareness, just trying to build the Children's Hospital. Galasano. Galasano. And she said, hey, I want you to come finish raising my baby. And at the age of 41, I came over as the, the chief administrative officer for pediatrics for Lee Health, which meant I was responsible for the Galasano Children's Hospital and for peds in the region. And, you know, team of like 850 people, um, just a, a really great organization, great group of folks doing some really wonderful things. The community welcomed me with open arms, did a lot of public speaking here, a lot of fundraising, um, just just really like had an opportunity to see what community really was because South Florida, it's busy and, and everyone is in a hurry and you don't get to really sense community in South Florida. Even with 105 relatives there, I didn't have the sense of community that I've had here in, in Cape Coral and Fort Myers. I think there's something special about Southwest Florida. I think I, this little I nook really, right here. Yeah. I mean, that's where I grew up, so I'm, I'm biased. But I've been to other parts of Florida. And I'm like, I just want to go back. You know, I, I wouldn't move back to Miami now if I had the opportunity. Um, it doesn't matter what the job is. And, and so back in September, um, I got tapped on the shoulder again. And, 
and asked to be the chief officer of hospital operations for all of Lilly Health Hospitals. And, you know, when you start to think about, that's like 1,650 licensed beds, right? Talking about a team of like 9,000 people. Me, right? The son of factory workers born in Passaic, New Jersey, right? I mean, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing remarkable. There's nothing. I'm not incredibly smart. Um, I often say I'm just a country boy trying to make a living, right? And so let's spin this last song, and then and then I'll close out with like the the crux of all of this. Okay, and then we're gonna make you sing a TV theme song, maybe. All right, let's do that. <laughs> uh, okay, our third song is, that's the Drake song, right? Yes, it is. Started from the bottom by Drake Started. off his album, Nothing Was the Same, released in 2013. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Was there like a time when you were driving around listening to that song going, yes, yes? Um, you know, it happens a lot. <laughs> it really does. Um, you know, I think about like where where my story started and, you know, what I used to think was a big thing and, and where, where my story is today, right? And my story is not finished. I'm 45, right? Like, who knows what God has in store for me in the next few chapters of this book? Um, and, you know, people ask me all the time, how did you do it? And I always answer with the same thing. I didn't, right? So I blame divine intervention, right? Because honestly, I could have made so many wrong turns along the way. Like I could have ended up somewhere completely different. And I, I often joke around and say, hey, I'm, I'm two bad decisions away from being the guy at Jiffy Lube changing your oil, right? I mean, literally, it's, it's two bad decisions in life and you can turn what would have been an amazing story into a tragic one. And, and I always say, you know, it's God's plan. And people say, well, what about free will? Well, I mean, God has a plan for me. And if I, through free will, choose to develop a heroin habit, um, I'm pretty likely going to ruin that plan, right? But at the core of everything that I've achieved is the fact that I've achieved nothing. Every single thing that I can celebrate as a success in my life, as a victory, as something that's on my resume, was done by someone else, right? I don't run five hospitals today. I'm responsible for the running of five hospitals. The people that do the real work are the nurses, the doctors, the techs, the people in environmental services, the pharmacists, the people answering the phones, the people that are moving supplies. That's who I owe all of my success to. There's never going to be a moment when someone walks into the hospital and says, hurry up, find Armando, I need an administrator, <laughs> right? Right. Like I'm the least important person in the building. The people that do the meaningful work are the ones that matter. I just own the responsibility of making sure it gets done. And so everything that I know about leadership, I probably learned in St. Pete from a great group of people who had the courage to be honest with me and tell me what a jerk I was. Um, and, you know, the lessons that they taught me then have carried me to where I am today and, and hopefully will carry me to where I'll be tomorrow. And so, yeah, this, this poor kid from Passaic whose parents could only afford to buy him the first couple of uniform pants at the beginning of the year. And if I fell and scuffed the knee on my pants, I got a patch. And the kids made fun of me for having a patch, right? I remember when, like, a Christmas gift that was meaningful was a little Dukes of Hazards wind-up car. <laughs> and then I look at my life today and I think, how did that happen? I mean, you could see out of the rust holes in the door of my dad's car when I was a kid. And now I see, like, the life that I'm able to give to, like, my children, to my family, and I think, 
it makes no sense. But thank God he chose me, hmm. right? Do you uh, happen to keep up with any of those people that you would have worked with in St. Pete? I do. Um, you know, LinkedIn is a, is a pretty interesting tool. I don't really believe in social media, so I don't have, um, I don't know, TikTok or Twitter or whatever it is you young people do nowadays. But I do keep a LinkedIn account. And, and I, I remember um, a couple years ago sending a note to, I used to work for a vice president by the name of um, Tracy Berry. And I remember one day I asked her for a job. And she said, well, what's happening with your education? I said, give me the job. I'll get the education. She said, get the education. I'll give you the job. And that actually predated me becoming a director. And that's when I started taking my first courses and getting serious about school. And, and so I sent her a note a couple years ago. And I had already like achieved an incredible amount of success. And I said, you know, I, I owe a lot of this to like you and to like the honest conversation you had in a hallway with me, which you've probably forgotten a thousand times over, but I will never forget. And so it also illustrates, right, that people just touch your lives in meaningful ways sometimes when they're not even trying to. And my hope is that I can touch people's lives in a meaningful way and inspire them to be the best version of themselves. Does music ever play into your job at all? Is there like, do you, do you listen to music at work? I know there's like music therapy programs in the, in the hospitals, but I'm not sure. There are. And so I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I have earbuds in my ear the entire day listening to music. Um, and actually yesterday... I forgot my earbuds at home, and it was closer to drive to Best Buy and buy another pair than it was to drive home and get mine. <laughs> that's so, how important they are. That's that how important a, that they are. That is evidence of how important they are. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to speed round you now. All right, go for it. Uh, best concert you've ever been to? Best concert? Um, the Black Crows. Where was it? Uh, the Amphitheater in Fort Lauderdale. Not the amphitheater, the, I don't know, where the um, Florida Panthers play. Oh, okay. Not the Coral Sky, what used to be called the Coral no, Sky. No, not the Coral Sky. The... <laughs> That's what I'll still call it. I'm going to call it that until the end of time. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I, I think the one I went to was like the BB&T, or I don't even remember who who's. It was the BB&T Center. The BB&T Center, and I went and I saw the Black Crows. Were you a big fan, or is that just a great concert? Um, you know what? At the time, I was really good friends with this guy, Chris, and... Um, you know, he, we got some tickets, pretty good seats, and, and we just drove up and saw the concert. I'd say second to that was probably Lollapalooza um, when the Chili Peppers were there in Miami, and that was way back in the day. Um, but yeah, Black Crow's best concert. Uh, do you go to see musicals? Or, you know, like at Barber B. Man or something like that? No, not really. Not my scene. Uh, do you do karaoke? Only when I'm drunk, because I'm a horrible singer. Um. What would be your go-to song in karaoke? Um, probably karaoke. Under the Boardwalk. Oh, that has some swing, too. I can see yeah. that. Um, okay, you're a horrible singer. If you had a th- TV theme song that you know the lyrics to, we're going to pull it up and we're going to try to sing it together. Oh, let's see. We're about the same age. I figure there's got to be something in there. TV theme song. So, I mean... To match the the tone of the podcast, it'd have to be, I guess, the Jeffersons with Moving On Up. Okay. I don't think we've maybe had that once. I don't know. Jared's bringing it up. Um, oh, you know what else we could do? We could do, uh, what is it, uh, Al Bundy. Um, married with Children. Married with Children. That's a good one. You want to do that one? We can. <laughs> Love and Marriage. Let's see. Who else? Let's see. Uh, TV theme songs. God, I'm a horrible singer, man. You don't want to record me singing. I'm just telling you now, you'll never have another listener again. That's all the more reason to. I'm not a good singer either. I don't know. Jared's a great singer. Which one one haven't you done? (laughs) Which one haven't we done? Yeah, theme song you haven't done. Well, you've asked me a ton of tough questions. I should get one. Um, A theme song that we haven't done. Um, That's really hard. I know, that's really like hard. over hundreds of episodes. Like, all the ones I think of are the ones we've done. <laughs> <I'm trying> to... <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So which which one do we want? We, do we want the married with children or moving on up? Let's do moving on up. That was his first instinct. Yeah, we don't have to do the whole thing. We'll just do a little bit of it. Stand by. In case for ads. While that's coming up, do you have a nickname that's stuck over the course of your life? Oh, that you'd be willing to share. My whole life, I was called Mandy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Mandy, which is kind of funny, right? Because I'm like six foot five, 270 pounds. And yeah, my mom still calls me Mandy. Um, yeah. No, no. Moving on up to the side. Up to the deluxe apartment in the sky. We're moving on up. Moving on up to the side. We finally got a piece of the pie. Beans don't fry in the kitchen. Beans don't burn on the grill. Took a whole lot of tour I hit just to get up that hill. Gave <laughs> my turn at that. As long as we live, you and me, baby, ain't nothing more than that. Go moving on up. You're not that bad a singer. Oh, Come you know on. what? That's because he's got <laughs> he's got the main volume pretty high, right? It was pretty hard to mess that up. Oh, that was great. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you come into the arena on? I don't know. From an intimidation factor, it might be that same song, Enemy. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, uh, that's an easy chance or choice. Um, if you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind that was like a distilled Armando. What would it be? You know, I'd be an old-fashioned. You know, just a little bit of sweet, just enough bite. Um, Anything you can do to customize it, to make it, and come up with a name for it. We're assembling a cocktail cookbook. So it's interesting. Um, what, I, uh, what I do when I mix my old-fashioned is I take a little bit of the uh, syrup from the Luxardo cherries, and I ah. pour it in, and I make it a cherry old-fashioned. So I use cherry bitters. Real, true Luxardo cherries that I order off of Amazon, and then I pour just a bit of the cherry syrup in, and it it makes for like heaven. That sounds in a really good. Glass. It is really good. I'm not really a cocktail drinker. I mean, I like to drink stuff, but I don't yeah. really like concoct things. That sounds like something that I could go with. Yeah, it's good stuff. What's it called? What's you? What's your version called? <sighs> um. Let's call it the Cherry Blossom. Okay. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which would you choose? That's a really good question. I'm going to need to take a second to think about that. If I could, ca- if I could play one song in the head of everyone on the planet at one time, So this is going to sound ridiculous, but there was a Coca-Cola commercial at one time that was really talking or speaking to equality and, and love. And um, I don't know, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. And, yeah, one of our know, guests brought that as one of their three songs. They, and so, <laughs> so I, think, I think what we need in the world more than anything is love for one another um, we are so polarized in every way, and everyone is so focused on convincing people to change. And if we just spent more time accepting one another and loving one another the way we are, my God, there's such beauty and diversity. And so um, I, I would want to, like, cascade out a song um, like that. Um, if you had to guess, what song have you listened to the most times in your life? The most times in my life. Hmm. Probably the Eagles Hotel California. If it, well, I guess it doesn't come up on the radio for you anymore because you're on Pandora. <laughs> but if you were in a car and it came up, you would leave it on. I would leave it on and I would sing every lyric to the song. Are you an Eagles fan in general, or is it just something about no, that song that like resonates? There's something about that song and how the the things that you sometimes find most attractive trap you, 
right? And and it's it's interesting because I I use that song sometimes to help people just consider like how they manage their finances, and and you know, <laughs> my gosh, people people get into debt chasing these dreams, and once you once you get the item, sometimes you realize it's not what you wanted in the first place. And now you're stuck. And when I hear that song, I think there are so many things in life that are enticing, whether it be like, you know, excess alcohol or, you know, use of drugs or whatever, that seems so enticing. But then once they have you, they have you, mm-hmm. right? And uh, yeah, so I find a lot of symbolism in that song. Um, <clears throat> you said you listen to Pandora, so you're not really listening to albums in their entirety, but are there any albums that you know well enough that you would want to listen to them in their entirety if you were going to play it? Are there any special like in your heart albums? Yeah, so so that Outcast album, um, the AT Aliens, is is an album that I listen to in its entirety. Um, you know, I find Post Malone to be a, a pretty good <clears throat> lyricist, and you know, I could listen to Post Malone's albums in their entirety. I mean, I'd say that those, you know, um, I'm trying to think. Cover to cover, I, I'd say for sure that Outcast album is the one that I've heard in its entirety most often. And probably, <laughs> I almost am embarrassed to say, um, the Bloodhound Gang did Hooray for Boobies, <laughs> which is uh, where the uh, song... Uh, you know, me and you, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. And so that album in its entirety is pretty funny. Any uh, desire to get back into vinyl? We've got a cool record no. shop in downtown Fort Myers called Joe's Record Exchange. You know what? I'll check it out. Um, I, I think, God, music has become so easy in this era. And the fact that I can pull up anything I want on YouTube or anything I want on Pandora at any given time is just awesome. And so the the thought of actually pulling out a record to play it, it, it isn't that appealing, Doesn't right? appeal like the ceremony no. of it or something? No. It makes and, it more intentional or something? No. And you know what? Like I've got, I've got this like cool like um, – set up in like the the family room of the house with like a sound bar and a subwoofer and some rear speakers and stuff. And so if I want to be an audiophile for a little while, like I'll play like some kind of classic music there. Um, I really like the sound of violins. I like the sound of brass. But most of the time I'm just looking to like just like transcend into the music, right? And so I'm like into like the lyrics. I've got a I've got a really good buddy. His name is Carl. He's gonna be one of the people I shout out later. And Carl's got just this incredibly expansive knowledge of music. And so he'll send me songs every so often and I don't know, I think I think music is a binder of people. It brings us together. Um and we can be so completely different, but like the same genre and same type of music and just connect, right? And, and humanity is kind of all about connection. And so music just gives us an avenue to connect on. What song have you and your son most recently added to the playlist? Um, let's see. What's the most recent to come on? It is just as easy as pulling out my phone. <laughs> Oh, so um, I mean it from G Easy. Okay, which is actually kind of a cool song because he said, "If I ever told you that I've never been scared, you know I mean it." That that's also yeah. Uh, what would your fourteen or maybe your fifteen-year-old angry person inside of you, or but what would your teenage years, fourteen, fifteen-year-old self think of who you are today as a person in their mid forties, in the life you've led thus far? <laughs> you know, he wouldn't believe it. He, um, he'd look at my life and say, you guys are just like pranking me. That's not going to be the life I live. Um, and then part of him would be like, cool, 
I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it it's so funny. I, I'd love the opportunity to sit down with 15-year-old me and just have a conversation. I tell my son all the time, so so my 16-year-old, he's I mean he's perfect, right? He's like six foot four, two forty-five, athletic. He's got like a man bun. He he's just I don't know. My kids are all like perfect, but he's and he's got these hazel eyes and these dimples. And I say to him, dude, I would give up everything I have if I could like be you and know what I know today. Like, God, the life that kid's going to have, all of them. Yeah, give it a couple more years. We'll be able to beam our consciousnesses into other bodies. And <laughs> How funny that me and him just had this conversation. Really? Because he said, you know, I, I don't look forward to the Your day. eyes kind of got big when I said that. <laughs> yeah, so he said, we just had this conversation a week ago. He said, I don't look forward to the day when I become a computer. And I said, Here, here's the interesting thing, right? We can, like, leverage outputs of the brain, and we can obviously, like, manipulate inputs. But we still don't have a real understanding of how your brain takes data points and attaches them to your neural network, right? We don't know how the files are retrieved. And, and that's kind of the beauty of the brain, right? It's the mystery. Yeah, it's the black it, box of it. Yeah. Right? And so, so when you said that, it brought me back to that conversation with him. That's cool. Um, okay, it's time for you to recommend your three people or two people besides Carl. So, so person <laughs> number one is going to be Carl Gilliam. Um, Carl is just a... He's a really, really cool guy. He like loves beer. He uh he mountain bikes with us. He's got a motorcycle. Um he I don't know. Carl is is that guy that everybody wants to be. Super fit, super athletic. I mean, you know, I hate that guy. <laughs> um person number two is Dr. Stephanie Stovall. Um Steph, as I call her, is a Really, really, really smart physician. Um, she uh, trained in a really good place. She and and the work that she does like is meaningful. And you know what? She's got like such an incredible like heart for Christ and a heart for people. And she's just like really special. Person number three. Um, Person number three. Person number three is a bit of a toss-up. And, you know, because I think she's got an incredibly interesting story and also found a lot of success early on in life, I'm going to say Alyssa Bostwick. She's the chief nursing officer at Galasano Children's Hospital. Okay. And uh, I think she'd do a good job. Okay. We'll share it with them and then point them our way or give us their emails or whatever it takes. Will do. Got any final thoughts? This has been a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. Thank <laughs> you for giving me the opportunity. Well, thank you so much for doing it. Cool. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, we're jumping back one year to episode 122 with WGCU's John Davis. His first song was the first movement of Dvorak's American String Quartet, recorded by the Prozik Quartet. He says this song anchors him to his time in high school after having moved to Fort Myers from Pittsburgh midway through, a move he was not at all cool with, like 0%, but he figured he'd just make the most of his time in Florida before escaping again after graduating. But then he wound up at the Cypress Lake High School's Center for the Arts, which changed everything. We had a class my senior year, and the only other people in it were the members of my string quartet, and it was just us rehearsing like without an instructor and you know we, we really did it like we really utilized the time <laughs> as, as we would have if we had been you know being proctored or watched but uh it was just such a fun experience and to really like we worked on that piece for an, an entire year 
So you just like really get to know it in and out and you know, you get to learn what it's like playing with these other people and you get to know each other so well. And it just becomes like this like this this, this fine-tuned machine. And like we would even hang out on the weekends and rehearse, like, you know, just for fun. And uh yeah, this this that piece was to me, exemplary of, of all of that, of that time period, and uh, kind of going into Florida thinking, like, this is going to suck. And then it actually turned out to be this amazing experience. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. One of the main reasons why, like, I'm doing a lot of things I'm doing in this campus is because of one person. Oh, my goodness. Is it me? Yeah, it's you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Jerry.